Awesome. So good to be together. So great just to chatter. And as I say most weeks, it's hard to, you know, stuff you don't want to break up, but it's just great to, to hear us connecting together and being together um, today. Just so thrilled you're with us. Happy Father's Day um, to all of the dads, but as well, um, you know, all the men in our church. We, you know, focus a little bit at Mother's Day on the moms and the women in our community. And it's a great opportunity just for us to be reminded of just the role of fathers and dads, uh, not only in culture, in our homes, but as well in the church. Um, and with all, you know, every time we come to these moments, we know that there's a lot of pain for some of these reflective times in our culture. And we actually acknowledge that. We acknowledge that sometimes when we come on things like Mother's Day and Father's Day, that there are deep longings within people, within our community that are unmet, and sometimes the pain that that brings. And we wanna be a community that acknowledges that this isn't just like happy for everybody. And I think in the Jesus community, that's actually, there's part of that that's okay, that we actually bring that. And so we do this every year, just a, just a reminder and reminding our community that what can be so exciting for some of us in a day just around celebration is also hard for others, and that's what it means to be part of a family. So we think of you as well today. Um, and, you know, as we celebrate this day, there are having babies born, obviously, the last few weeks and this week especially. And uh, Mark and Chelsea had a beautiful baby boy this week that many of you have probably seen pictures of. And they'll be back uh, and um, ready to share him with our community, which is really exciting, baby Oliver. So... It's really just great to be a part of a community like this with life and joy and hope and just getting to talk to some of you this morning, just, uh, just the vibe is so, so great. With that said, um, most of you know we are looking at a theme right now, a spring kind of spiritual practice for us, and it's basically drilling down and focusing on hospitality. We've been taking pretty much the last eight weeks to focus on hospitality as a way of life in the kingdom of God. And so we started by focusing on opening our lives to other, that the way to posture ourselves to the world is to be hospitable, that evangelism doesn't have to be scary or overwhelming, that the mission of Jesus was to go from table to table and eat with people. And uh, we really want to take on this posture as a community of shared life and sharing our lives with those on the outside. Then we took some time and looked at the community of Jesus, specifically our church community, and what hospitality means for us, that it's not just like a core value, but it's actually really a way in which we gather, that the church gathering should be hospitable. And if it's not, we should ask lots of questions around that and push lots of buttons towards that. That um, more than just coming in and facing forward, though there's parts of that, um, at a deeper level, we're called together as a community. And so really trying to create these spaces before the gathering, after the gathering, in between where y'all can't shut up, right? It's awesome. It's amazing. This is what we want. And that's a good thing, by the way. Um, just thinking through, like, how do we create space as a church? One of the ways is on the first Sunday of every single month. We gather in homes throughout the city. We are saying as a community, hospitality is the way in which we gather. Many theologians would say from the first century, that really the church did not gather apart from food, that the table was the church. And here we are in a different moment, I get it, and I know even as we come to the table in a few minutes, it's little emblems, but a reminder to us of how important the table is. Then last week we looked at how hospitality is really a posture towards those who are deconstructing, that Jesus had followers of him that basically gave up 
after he went into the tomb. They walked away from Jerusalem and from his kingdom, and he kind of walked alongside of them and showed them uh, basically what was up, but he did it over bread, that their eyes were opened when he broke bread with them and told the story of God with him at the center. Beautiful. Now, what we're going to do, take a few more weeks. There's just some things buzzing around my mind and heart um, around hospitality. If you want, you can open in your Bibles with me if you want to Genesis 18 and 19. And for some of you Sunday school kids that are like, isn't that like the Sodom and Gomorrah passage? Welcome to church. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) It is. It is. Um, buckle up. No, I think we'll be okay. But, um, you know, l- later on, obviously, post-Genesis, in the New Testament, one, the writer, we don't know who it is. Some think it's Paul. We're not fully sure of who wrote Hebrews. The instruction in particular, this was for everybody, but the writer of Hebrews is also helping us understand kind of the Jewish context in what Christianity or the way of Jesus kind of evolved out of. They say this, Verse 13, Hebrews 13, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, and do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Hmm. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, we just read over that. I was going to say Paul. We don't know if it's Paul who wrote it. Whoever wrote this says, continue to remember those not only who are in prison, but don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have actually, in their hospitality, you've been showing, uh, throughout history, I think this is pointing back to, to showing hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, that may seem really strange. We just read over that. Here we are. I think the writer of Hebrews is probably pointing back to the passage, to the narrative that we're going to take time to read this morning. Listen, in our culture, I know many of us probably think it's pretty strange to believe that the divine or that God or angels or whatever might take on the disguise of strangers in, in our kind of the world that we orbit in order to test humans and their piety, um, though that's a little strange to us, this was actually commonplace in the ancient world. You with me? There was an idea in the ancient world that divine messengers would come. This was actually especially true uh, during the time of the Old Testament, which obviously we know, we're going to read in Genesis, is a time and place where there's also another culture around it. For Sometimes we just need to pump the brakes a little and remind ourselves that there were actually other writings outside of the Bible. Did you know this? Like if the Bible was written today, there's also, there would also be all sorts of things written in its time. If you were to write a letter that somehow ended up in the canon of Scripture, there's other things going on. There's the internet. There's buildings and skyscrapers and cities and candidates for uh, political parties, there's families, there's schools, there's all sorts of ways in which we kind of move and function. And the same is in the ancient world. Now, why does that matter? That matters because there was a lot of stories in extra biblical stuff on the outside of the biblical writings in the ancient world that referred to something called theozania, which was 
In other words, it's kind of translated hospitality to God that's found in the stories of ancient contexts. And so both in the Bible and outside of the Bible, in the ancient world, there was a lot of writings around these stories of divine beings showing up and really pushing the pulse of hospitality. And this is actually, this is what Genesis 18 and 19 are. These stories, whether in the Bible or what we see outside of the Bible, are very moralistic in nature. And I think actually one of the things in Joshua Jip, who's been really helpful even through this series, talks about how they provide theological warrant for showing kindness to strangers. You with me? That outside of the Bible, in Greco-Roman, or not before Greco-Roman, but like ancient kind of writings, there was this idea of hospitality and the gods coming to people. And just like the creation accounts, sometimes the Bible picks up in the same culture and very much models or mirrors what's happening. Make sense? If I were to write a letter, there'd be all sorts of things in it of, of our day. We've got to rewind thousands of years in the ancient Babylonian world to realize they had particular ways of writing in their creation accounts in these divine messengers coming, and now the Bible also picks up and shows it in light of God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful. Take a deep breath. We okay? There's no test. But it's, I think it's important... It, I was talking to a few people in our community that are journeying through the Bible. There are all sorts of things happening and kind of things moving together to kind of help breathe the context for us in that. With that said, the word hospitality is actually the word philoxenia, which means love of stranger. That's what hospitality means, the love of stranger. That's why xenophobia, what does that mean? Think about it, the fear of stranger. When somebody's a xenophobe, the fear, there's the fear of the other or the stranger. What hospitality is, it's the love of the other or the stranger. Now, we turn to the New Testament and go, yeah, 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 Jesus shows us the way. He shows us love and light. He shows us that we should be hospitable and this is the way we roll. Well, absolutely. But what we often miss, and in particular, kind of the ancient kind of Near Eastern way of writing, Genesis 18 and 19 shows us that people who follow God, especially since the covenant with Abraham, are these ones that aren't just called to faith, to allegiance, that's part of it, but they are called to hospitality. When we talk about Abraham, we often, this is the thread that we miss, and this is why hospitality is so important, even thousands of years later. Hospitality was a massive part of the calling on Abraham and his line. So if you know in Genesis 12, God calls this guy named Abram, out of sheer grace, nothing special about him, um, and calls him to be the father of this nation, that through his line would be a great nation that would reflect God's love and light to the world. And the picture we get is that they would be a blessing. Actually, in the Hebrew, the better context is, is that this community of people, the world through them would receive the blessing. And we know eventually Jesus would be this blessing to the world. And so these people are marked by faith, but they're also called to be hospitable. Now, Genesis 18, we're going to learn a little bit. I'm going to read a bit of text. We're going to learn about Abraham and his response to these divine messengers and uh, these, these divine messengers that come, and Lot as well, and learn their posture towards these strangers. 
Verse 1 of Genesis 18, read with me. I promise it won't be too painful. It says this, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre, okay? While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So again, we know, we hear that the Lord appeared to Abraham, that these are divine beings here, these heavenly beings. Verse 3, Abraham said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you do. All right, verse 6. So Abraham, he hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, grab three seas of the finest flour and um, bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice, tender calf, and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. So he's getting his servants to prepare to get ready. Verse 8, he then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And when they ate, he stood near them under a tree. And the messenger said, where is your wife Sarah? There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah, she was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure of like having a child? Then the Lord said to Abraham, remember the Lord said to Abraham through who? These messengers, right? Why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Okay, <laughs> love it. Now, when you break it down, here's what Abraham does. Again, hospitality being part of this call, allegiance, faith, I'm going to give the final kind of point. I'm sure in preacher school they tell you not to give the final point like at the beginning but at the end. But the reality is, is faith and hospitality are never separated. Those who follow God, it has always been deeply connected together. Abraham sees the strangers. He runs and he greets them. He invites the strangers to receive his hospitality. He offers them water to drink and to wash their feet. He provides them with comfort and rest. He gives them uh, food and drink. And he also promises, if you rewind, he promises that he will not stop the strangers from their travels. Abraham is putting on display for these messengers the hospitality of God. He's welcoming these strangers in as a response to the covenant that God has made with him. And you hear me all the time, right? You hear me all the time say, let's pump the brakes a little because God is not a slot machine. We'll be very disappointed if it's like, hey, if I just give, then all of a sudden I'm going to get, right? We're very cautious of like, hey, God is like my, you know, genie in a bottle, right? We, we push against that. It is fascinating here, though. I'm just, I'm just saying, just the paper boy. In Abraham's context, this hospitality actually results in God confirming to do the impossible for Abraham and give him and Sarah a child. That 
His level of hospitality is like a, a, a part of what's happening here. Now, again, I'm not saying we're like God's a cosmic slot machine. But in this case for Abraham, this is tied to the story. God blessing him and, Abra, uh, him and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, because of, how they, because of how Abraham opens up his life to these messengers. Now, Genesis 18 mirrors Genesis 19. You ready for Sodom and Gomorrah on Father's Day? Oh, I knew you just woke up. You're like, if anything, I hope my pastor talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's go. All right. So I want to be, I want to be sensitive here because I know like, um, and I said, oh, by the way, I've been saying to, and there's obviously some with the kids as well, that our students have just done a wonderful job hanging in with us. Um, in our gatherings, and so thankful for them. And we are going to have kids' programs in the fall up to the ages we've had and stuff for the students. So I'm very thankful for these guys and kind of hanging with us. I do want to be sensitive in this story, right, um, about some of the things that are going on here. It's interesting, though, with Sodom and Gomorrah, if you ask the average kind of evangelical, most people point the sin of Sodom being sexual deviance, Right? This is like kind of where our mind goes. Like what, what unfolds in this story is about one thing. It's about what is going to unfold with the way people are using their bodies. It's interesting how hospitality is actually a key thread, not just in Genesis 18, but with Lot in Genesis 19. Actually, earlier in Genesis 18, God said to them, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down there and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. God literally says, I've heard about these people. Interesting concept, eh? Kind of in the Hebrew writing. I've heard about these folk, and I'm going to go down and actually see if it's as bad as I hear. Now, there's a little bit of wordplay and stuff in Hebrew we don't have time for, but the, the, the fascinating thing here is most people now in like 2022 are pointing one thing. Sexual deviance. Listen to what actually happens in the story. Verse 1. The two angels this time. So again, divine meeting, right? Like, so we've got to wrap our minds around this, especially in a very scientific, rational world. Like, this is a little funky for us. But two angels arrived at Sodom in that evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. We just heard this same type of response from Abraham, now Lot. Verse 2, my lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But Lot insisted so strongly that they did not go with, uh, that they did go, sorry, with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them. Have we heard, the, have we heard this before? Breaking bread without yeast and he ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, so the men around, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, why are the men who came to you, uh, where are the men, sorry, the people, the men cried, where are these men that came to you, they said to Lot, bring them out to us so that we can sleep with them. Verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters and you have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you want with them. But do anything to these men. Don't do anything to these men, he said, for they have come under the protection of my roof. 
Go out of your way, they replied. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and this is important. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break the door down. But the angels, the men inside, reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men, the angels, said to Lot, Do you have anyone else in here, son-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law, but his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged the Lord, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the man grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the, in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. Now, you're welcome. We just read a bunch of Bible, if, if anything. That's pretty good. There's some narrative here. What the author of Genesis is trying to do is to, really what's happening, he's trying to mirror responses here. Lot's response mirrors Abraham's response in hospitality. In some ways, this story is actually, in, in, in chapter 19, is actually a negative counterpart to Abraham's hospitality in Genesis. Joshua Jip, he would say it like this, it makes the point that God will judge societies and individuals that, listen, that abuse the vulnerable stranger. This is what's going on. Lot in the city and the two angels that come, they are unwelcome in the city. So it's more likely than anything, probably, though there's all sorts of deviance and there's all sorts of things we like to focus on and those things are there, hey, that's for another time. But I think it's actually better in context to understand that Sodom's grave sin is actually connected to their abuse of social justice and their actual lack of hospitality towards these strangers that come to the city. Are you with me? What was happening in Sodom? They didn't welcome God. That's what happened. Jip goes on. What a name, Jip, eh? Joshua Jip. He says this. Just listen to this. God, this is what he draws from this. I think it's important. God loves and rewards the hospitable, for they are righteous and pious in his sight. But God judges, and this is what happens here, he judges those who abuse and reject vulnerable strangers, for they are wicked. Whoever the God of Israel is, this God is one who loves the stranger, demands their protection, and warns individuals and societies that would break hospitality protocols. That in this covenant with Abraham and the line that would come through him and now into the church, that hospitality is part of what we walk in in light of this call to follow God. Is anybody out there with me? This is actually what the story is about. There is no mistake what the writer is doing in 18 and 19 is showing us how Abraham and Lot responded. And so, brothers and sisters, if you can't, you can't get very far in the Old Testament in this covenant understanding 
that God, there's, it's like the trifecta. God um, has a heart over and over in the Old Testament law for three kind of groups of people. The orphan, the widow, and this is the language of the Bible, the foreigner. Probably the better you know, term that we probably use today is the immigrant or illegal immigrant. This is who God is for. God is for the other, for the stranger. Deuteronomy 10, for the Lord your God is God of all gods and Lord of all lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the faithless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves, what, were foreigners in Egypt. So God says to Israel, listen, you were caught up in all sorts of things, and I have freed you, and now this posture to the orphan, the widow, and foreigners, you open your lives to them. And so this began a long history of God's people taking care of these people, the stranger. And they ultimately, God's call was on his people to be defenders that they actually had God as their advocate. And God calls his people to defend these groups of people. Deuteronomy 14, just in case you're not convinced. You with me? Verse 28, at the end of every three years, God says, bring all the tithes of the year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your town may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. So there's literally this idea that the people of God would bring their stuff and they would provide for the Levites, but not only that, the, uh, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. If you're not convinced there, keep reading. Verse 20, or Deuteronomy 24, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do, to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, there you go, do not go back to it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner the fatherless and the widow. When, you're har when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. You think the writer of the law is onto something here? You, you picking it up? You picking it up? Verse 22, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. What are you saying, Drew? All I'm saying is hospitality is not this thing that just all of a sudden we feel good about in our moment kind of post the cross. From the very freaking beginning, this was about God's people loving the stranger, loving the other, that this is what set God's community apart is that hospitality is deeply connected to faith and allegiance and that we love the stranger, the other, and we open our lives up to it. And it's as simple as that. And listen, I know for some of us in this place, we think about policies and politics and how does this all work. And honestly, that's just quite honestly above my pay grade. I know it's complex at times. I understand the polarizing issues right now. I, under, I get all that. I get all that. But as the community of God, we are deeply rooted in something that says we don't just say we believe in this God that we follow but we love the stranger and we welcome them and this is what it's all about. And I know we live in a polarizing moment, but this is the type of community that we want to become. Oh, you people of faith? Yep, we're these people that welcome the stranger. And this is what Abraham did 
And this is what Lot did. And though we want to point to certain things, and maybe we'll talk about this at another time, the sin of Sodom was their unhospitality. There were lots of things going on in that city. And, you know, I know sometimes we have a hard time with the judgment of God, but there is strong judgment throughout the law on people who are not hospitable. And we need to be reminded of that. Not out of, like, fearing us into doing things, but just reminding us that as a covenant people, as God's people, we are called to the other. And so may this be a reminder that everything, guys, we've talked about the last several weeks is deeply tied in this covenant from the very beginning. I will bless you, God says to Abraham, and you will be a blessing. And though Israel failed over and over, now we lean in to the fact that on this side of the cross we have the Spirit and if we are not hospital, honestly, um, I'm not, I find sometimes not overly prophetic, but I'll just, I think it's important for our moment in history. If we are not hospitable, God's judgment will be on us. How do you like that? It's not easy for me to say, but we want to point to certain things. The theme in the Bible is this opening of our lives of hospitality, of um, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so this is the call for us. With this in mind, why don't we take a couple, let's, let's do a couple things as we wind down. We're going to come to the tables in a minute, but why don't you just turn to somebody around you? What do you think, and what do you think this means for us, if this is true? Take a minute.